Welcome to the midweek edition of Legal AF. Well, there's no news this week, so we're going to cancel the show. Or it's everything, everywhere, all at once. And that's what we're going to cover today. We're going to start with the Jan 6 um, insurrection issues are front and center with a grand jury that is led by special counsel Jack Smith. And come on down, Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner, because you're next to testify about all things related to your father and father-in-law, whether he was involved with summoning the mob to overthrow the government, what he did during those three hours of dereliction of duty in the dining room, all the conversations you had with him about the fact that he lost the election and should peacefully transfer power, etc., etc. This is heating up for Jack Smith. I know we keep saying that, but you got two competing grand juries going on in Washington, D.C. One of them is about Mar-a-Lago. We had all the lawyers come in last week. Evan Corcoran, probably a criminal target. Christina Bob and uh, Alina Haba. And But now we're in the other grand jury with Mike Pence, now Ivanka and Jared. And we're, we're, at the, we're at the tail end. This is the end of the beginning, not the beginning of the end. And then we're going to talk about Fawny Willis, the heartburn that, that I'm sure she's, that we were sore that she is suffering right now related to the four person of the special purpose grand jury deciding that she wanted her 15 minutes of fame and doing exactly the thing that Judge McBurney didn't want to do, which is to disclose anything about the report and the recommendations of her grand jury until he authorized it not her. And he only authorized this authorized five and a half pages to be disclosed, which wasn't much, but it's what he calculated that he wanted disclosed. Unfortunately, that's not what the four person wanted. And we're going to talk about it from a prosecutor's perspective with my co-anchor. And then finally, we're going to talk about Speaker McCarthy deciding that full transparency about the Jan 6 attack and the insurrection means turning over 41,000 uh, hours of unmitigated, unvarnished CCT uh, camera footage directly from all of the cameras located at the Capitol to Tucker Carlson. This, and he made that decision after the uh, Dominion lawsuit exposed all of the internal emails showing that Tucker Carlson, Hannity, and Laura Ingraham are a fraud. They don't. They don't believe a word of the of the big lie or the uh, election fraud that they claim happened or um, that Joe Biden isn't president or that it was a false flag event or any of that. That doesn't matter. He decides, McCarthy decides, let's turn it over to Fox News for their investigation. And we'll talk about that also from a prosecutor standpoint. I'm Michael Popak, and I'm joined every Wednesday with my co-anchor, former prosecutor, Karen Friedman at Niffalo. Hi, Karen. Hello, Professor Popak with the glasses. <laughs> <laughs> I love the glasses. This oh, week. They've, they've been called everything. This this is the Lego scuba edition of my glasses. Um, <laughs> and you're, I think, in New York. I'm right. You're in New York. Yes, I'm in New yeah. York. I'm, I'm on the road. I'm in, I'm reporting from Georgia. I was hoping that there'd be something better to talk about with Fawdy Willis and imminent indictments than the four person, but that didn't happen. And I'm and I'm here doing something else, so I figured, let's do the show tonight. 
So let's do the show tonight. Let's jump right in. We got you, you wanted to do breaking news from from Atlanta, Georgia, where you could stand in front of the courtroom, yes, or the courthouse, and announce that indictments have been brought. So. I, I mean, you you and I talked offline, um, and along with the other uh, Midas Midas Touch personnel and, and personalities like Ben, and I thought before before the four person Emily Kors, write that name down, Emily Kors, before she decided. I don't know at who's urging um, her own to go on and CNN and network television to talk about the inner workings of the grand jury and start hinting around about um, the indictments of multiple people for multiple crimes in response to Donald Trump, effectively taking the bait that Donald Trump put out there that we talked about, Ben Mysalis predicted would happen when he reading five pages out of a thousands or thousands of pages in the not released special purpose grand jury report said exonerated i'm exonerated and then and there we go um and then we've got uh, we've got all that so look we're going to get to it next i don't want to tease but i'm going to tease we're going to talk first about my other favorite topic which is whatever happened to ivanka trump and jared kushner i thought they left they're retiring types. They left New York, went to Florida, bought a multi-billion-dollar house on on uh, in uh, Indian Creek, and tried to get as far away from everything related to her dad as possible, including saying, "I'm not working on the campaign." Uh, uh, basically, I'm not supporting the campaign. To which Donald Trump, of course, attacked his own daughter, not the first time, and said, uh, "I didn't want her working on my campaign. That's why she's not working on my campaign." But uh, they hoped, I thought, I think that if they buried themselves deep below the earth in Miami, that they would escape being brought back in as potential criminal defendants or at least witnesses in a grand jury led by Jack Smith. Wrong. So let's talk about it, Karen. Um, first of all, let me just spend one minute framing it, and then I'm going to turn it over to you. You've got Ivanka Trump, who obviously, um, well, let me do it this way. Uh, people might be wondering, well, they were in the White House. Maybe there's a privilege issue that they'll try to assert, like Pence tried to assert his speech and debate and executive privilege to avoid testimony. What about them? Popak, what about them? Well, I'll tell you that they did testify. We did, we're not imagining that they testified, and we saw video clips of both Jared Kushner and uh, Ivanka in the Jan 6 committee hearings. That's because Trump did not assert the executive privilege or stop them from testifying in any way under oath. And so they did. Now, so there's an open question whether there's even an executive privilege to continue to assert, because it looks like you've waived it. Um, you've allowed two of your people in the White House to go and testify under oath about what happened. I'm not sure he's going to be able to now assert the executive privilege. And why do these two matter? I mean, we're talking about reaching into the inner, inner sanctum closest to Donald Trump. You're not getting any closer than Ivanka and Jared, okay, than these two. Now, Ivanka, remember, she was not only a fly on the wall, but an active participant in numerous conversations that have already come out through the Jan 6 committee testimony. She was there when daddy called Mike Pence to pressure him and may have used the P word, like don't be a P word. And she's also on tape because we saw it numerous times because the Jan 6 committee took special delight in roasting Donald Trump by way of his daughter, in which she, after hearing that Bill Barr said effectively, no, I think he said it actually, that 
all of the election fraud uh, schemes and ideas about dead voters voting and multiple voter voters and software that flip votes from Trump to Biden, all of that having been run down to ground, it, that that election fraud thing was, to paraphrase Bill Barr, bullshit. And then you followed up with Ivana Ivanka saying, mm, I trust Bill Barr, and so I agreed with him, and I tried to move my dad into accepting his defeat and um, doing a peaceful transfer of power, which goes to criminal mind, criminal intent, mens rea, as we like to call it, in the business um, for the Donald Trump prosecution. So she's got a lot to talk about. Then you got um, Jared, who one of his roles apparently was trying to manage the White House counsel position in the form of Pat Cipollone. And Pat has already testified and has been forced to testify over attorney-client privilege assertions by Donald Trump about also telling Donald Trump in no uncertain terms that he had lost the election, that all of his gambits had, had failed, none of the lawsuits had prevailed, and none of his working theories about fraud were correct. And, um, and threatened to quit, as you recall, Karen and our audience, Pat Cipollone threatened to quit if Donald Trump put in Jeffrey Rosen, I'm sorry, if he put in uh, Jeff Clark, Clark, as yeah. yeah, Jeff Clark as the attorney general to do his bidding to write nasty letters on Department of Justice stationery to places like Georgia, for instance. And for some reason, Jared's role in that inner circle with Trump was to like manage Pat Cipollone, who he basically called a crybaby and that he didn't really believe much of what he was saying and uh, and just thought that was Pat being Pat, that kind of thing. So Jared's got a lot of things to talk about. But but from your perspective um, as a former prosecutor, what do you think the where do you think we are in that prosecution that they are now up to Pence, Ivanka and Jared? Let's start with that one. Where do you think they are in all of that? I think they're getting very, very close to Trump. I mean, this is this is the tip of the eye. You know, the, before it was you start at the bottom and they go with the insurrectionists and they've been moving, working their way up the chain. But you get to. Donald Trump's daughter and son-in-law, that's and and the vice president. That that's as close as you can get to Trump, I think. And it just shows where Jack Smith is. You know, when Jack Smith came as was appointed a special prosecutor, people were worried that things would slow down. And I think this shows that nothing is slowing down. In fact, he's really turning up the heat and he's ready to get to the next level and and it's getting serious. I mean, you know, interestingly, as I'm sure you know, and everybody knows, before the Trumps all moved down to Florida, they were New Yorkers. And so they are all known in various New York circles. And I remember when, when Donald Trump was elected president, many people were thinking that, it, well, hopefully the fact that Jared and Ivanka are going to be working in the White House, that they were the most reasonable of Don Jr. and Eric and, you know, that whole that whole group of people. Um, and so they thought, hopefully she and he, the husband will, you know, the husband and wife team will talk some sense into him and keep things calm and maybe he won't go off the rails and be as crazy. And I'm sure that's part of what Jack Smith's kind of hoping that, you know, Don Jr. and Eric are 
I'm sure targets, uh, as as is dad, and they also are very much they they've been shown to especially Don Jr. They will lie on behalf of their father, but it'll we'll soon see if Jared and Ivanka will take that extra step and actually lie on behalf of Donald Trump. I mean, so far, Ivanka, she's not obviously going to want to testify against her father, but so far what's been released, she seems to be candid, at least, about her opinions. Like when she said she agreed with with Bill Barr, saying there was no election interference, et cetera. And so put on, if she's required to testify in the grand jury by subpoena and she has to be sworn in under oath, it'll be interesting. She could take the fifth, right, if she's a target and not speak and not have to say anything. Or she could be given immunity and uh, forced to testify or she might choose to testify. Who, who knows? Because she did speak to the Jan 6 committee and we'll see, you know, there's there's. You mentioned the executive privilege that Trump could assert, and just for for people who um, might wonder whether this is the case, there is no child parent privilege. So the way there is a marital privilege or husband wife privilege, there's there's nothing like that with a with a parent child relationship. So that that can't be an issue, and we'll see what what Jack Smith asks her and Jared about. You know, we do know that she was in the Oval Office on January 6th with her father while he called um, Pence and, and pressured him to, to block or delay the certification. Um, and we also know that she accompanied her father to the rally at the Ellipse where people were chanting, hang Mike Pence. So she could be asked about what did he say to her? Uh, what did he know? And what was she saying to him? And, you know, we know that Jared went to the White House uh, after he returned from, I don't know where he was, the Middle East or something that day. And he went to the White House where after the people had been rioting for many hours and and it's been widely uh, spoken about that he and Ivanka were both involved in trying to get Trump to tell the rioters to go home and commit to a peaceful transfer of power. So I think that's powerful evidence uh, before a grand jury and it's powerful evidence against Donald Trump. I mean, it, it just goes to show that's where they are and that's where they're up to. Yeah, I think that that's a great um, rundown of the of the jeopardy that Ivanka and Jared are facing. I mean, they they have two choices. They either lie under oath and possibly be convicted for doing so, or they tell the truth. And they've sort of signaled in their own weird way, even though they've been part of the Trump criminal family for a long, long time and have grifted their way to billions, that, uh, you know, they would like to not be criminally prosecuted. And they've, um, as opposed, as you said, to Eric and Don Jr., they have uh, done the most to get as far away and behind a firewall of the exploding and imploding Donald Trump as possible. You know, they had a pretty swanky life in New York, you know, running around the Upper East Side and, and socializing and all of that. And yeah, sure, Miami's great. And they have, a, you know, some mega mansion in um, Indian Creek where all the other billionaires live. But they, um, you know, they gave up a life and a lifestyle. And then uh, Trump was none too pleased when he, you know, I'd love to be in the room when Ivanka said, I'm, I'm not helping you in the next campaign. You're doing it without me. Because, you know, as opposed to Don Jr. and Eric, who are firmly and completely committed, and even in the New York, and even in the um, uh, New York Attorney General case, 
she was able to separate herself a bit from the others in terms of some financial oversight. Again, you know, demonstrating that she's trying to get some daylight if she can between her and her dad. Her dad will throw her under the bus in a heartbeat. He's already done it in tweets that will one day be, he'll be confronted with if he's ever indicted. But, um, you know, he has not liked, and I don't think it's an act um, that she's uh, acted like the black sheep going against dad. I think that this is, you know, her testimony, and I don't think it was a calculated decision to do so. So we're going to have to see, but I do think it signals strongly, as I said at the top, that it, that we're at the um, the the, uh, the beginning of the end here. Uh, this it, is... Go ahead, Karen. No, I was just going to... Yeah, you're 100% right. There's just one more thing I wanted to add yeah, sure. to what you're saying, which is that uh, oftentimes prosecutors are going to have to make a deal with the devil to get to the top person, right? It's 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 an age-old thing that, that has been done because you can't always get to the top person. We all know that, that Trump didn't write anything down. He didn't send emails. He would tear things up and flush them down the toilet, right? He, he doesn't leave the breadcrumb paper trail that, that, um, that many criminals often do that prosecutors rely on and he's got his inner circle is is like brainwashed against him you know for him i should say and and it's going to be very hard to get somebody to testify against him and so somebody jack smith is going to have to start making deals with with the devil with some people and so i could imagine a scenario where he potentially uh, immunizes ivanka and or Jared, uh, because he wouldn't do that with um, with Eric or Don Jr. Because of I think they're probably targets too, and and they're not trustworthy and they're liars. So that's what that's what I think uh, is possibly happening. And just stay tuned because he is going to have to make a deal with the devil with with some uh, with somebody um, to get to Trump. And and what I meant by that, just to be clear, because I'm I'm looking at the chats here about what that phrase means. You don't do Ivanka and Jared and Pence when you're like starting your investigation. You do it in the waning days of your prosecution or your presentation to your grand jury from which you will ultimately get, you're running out of people. I mean, you know, how, how much closer can we get here than, you know, the relatives, blood relatives of the, of the target of the investigation? So we will see. Um, it's news because it's news today, because it's the latest group of people that have, have been brought in. And because the only way we can report what's going on at the grand jury level is by, there's really one of two ways. Because unlike the, the one of our next segments, where a jury foreperson decides she's going to be celebrity of the week and start talking about improperly, probably illegally, about what happened with this, with inside of a grand jury, we're not supposed to know that. We're only the only two ways that we can tell what's going on in a federal grand jury is when there's motion practice, again, secret and sealed, but motion practice that's listed on the public docket over at the chief judge's chambers and courtroom currently um, uh, currently being handled by um, now that she's about to leave. I've actually almost forgotten her name um, now that it's being handled by uh, who's the chief judge now for the for the D.C. court. Wait, I'm Karen, sorry. I, I, who, I don't. I don't. She, yeah. She, I know. Oh no, it'll come to me before this segment's over. But you, we either look at her docket and see what's being filed there, and then from there try to get some reporting related to it, 
and we report on the witnesses that are being brought in there and which grand jury of the many that we think they're being brought in front of. And from there, we synthesize it. And using our experience, um, it's it's barrel howl for those that are... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Salty, my, my trusted producer. Um, soon to be replaced by Jeb Boesberg, but currently the chief judge overseeing all the grand juries. And that's what we do. And that's why I think people come here. So for the people that are, you know, kind of trolling their way through the chat tonight, like the beginning of what? Well, who cares? That was this news. It is. And you're going to have to trust practicing lawyers that do this for a living, that this is this is big news. And this is how we report it based on developments in front of the grand jury. So let's, Karen, unless you have anything else, I'm going to move on. Going to move on to our no, next let's, segment. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like the next one. This is this one's gonna like boil your blood as a former prosecutor. Let this me one it. I call I call oive. This one. <laughs> That's a legal Yiddish term. <laughs> and, and I'm gonna ask you about uh, after we show the uh, clip of what we're talking about. I'm gonna ask you about what what you think Fonny Willis is thinking right now, what Judge McBurney is thinking right now, and what the possible next steps are. But let's frame this for a minute. We've got a special purpose grand jury in Georgia, where I'm at right now, in Fulton County, that was impaneled for seven months um, under uh, by a vote of other judge, justices or judges on the Fulton County bench and supervised by, at the time, Chief Judge McBurney, now regular regular old Judge McBurney. And they were, they were very methodical about keeping things confidential and secret and giving the grand jury that special grand jury that only recommends on indictments, but does not indict itself, the space it needed to operate, just like any other grand jury. And I'm sure every grand juror, including the fourth person who was selected usually by a vote of that grant of the of those people um, that are in there, were told and instructed about the sanctity of the grand jury process and the need to keep it secret and that they should not until the grand jury is discharged and the final decisions are made not by them, but by the regular grand jury because of their unique role in a report related to indictments, that they're not to go on network television and start talking about it. That's, that's what that's there. We know now, and I shouldn't know, but I do know, we know that the jury four person Emily Kors, K-O-H-R-S, has gone on network television. We're going to show a clip now. And Salty, let's run the clip of her in her interview, and then we'll come back to Karen and me talking about it. Is it, would you say, when it comes to, there are indi there are indictments recommended, of course. Is it yes. more than 12 people? Is it more than 20 people? I think if you look at the page numbers of the report, there's about six pages in the middle that got cut out. Allow for spacing. It's not a short list. Not a short list. <laughs> More, I mean, when it comes to seven, is former President Trump. Of course. Did you recommend charges against Donald Trump? I really don't want to share something that the judge made a conscious decision not to share. I, I will tell you that it was a process where we heard his name a lot. Uh, we definitely heard a lot about former President Trump, and we definitely discussed him a lot in the room. And I will say that uh, when this list comes out, you wouldn't, there are no major plot twists waiting for you. You know, it's interesting. We 
That just raises more questions of course. I know, of I know, I'm sorry. No, no, do, please do not apologize. I'm very appreciative of your time. When you say there's no plot twists and you know people won't be shocked, people are gonna people are gonna hear that and they're gonna think that means that Donald Trump is definitely on that list. Um, All right, so we've got Emily Kors that on her own initiative and not authorized by the district attorney, Fawny Willis, nor by Judge McBurney, who spent a considerable amount of time and briefing and oral argument and public hearing deciding exactly what he would allow to be let into the public domain and what he wouldn't. And he only allowed five and a half pages out of what I expect to be thousands of pages, including the 70 or more witness testimony transcripts and documents and exhibits that will ultimately be released to the public at the appropriate time. So McBurney did that. Fawny Willis supported McBurney's decision, said her decision on prosecutions on multiple defendants was imminent. And we'll talk about that, about the imminent part. People are getting frustrated about why hasn't it happened already. Um, But you have that. And then you have Donald Trump who decides, hmm, let me see if I can rig this in my favor. I'll tweet out some bait and see if anybody takes it. And here's the bait that we put up before. Thank you to the special grand jury in the great state of Georgia for your patriotism and courage. Total exoneration. USA is very proud of you, right? That's the bait. And so he was waiting for somebody in Fawny Willis's office or somewhere to step forward and say, you weren't exonerated. We know it's in the report and here it is. And lo and behold, Emily Kors, who's, I think it's, I think she's in her late, mid to late 20s, decides apparently on her own initiative with whatever support group she has around her to go on network television. I guess she got a, they all got lots of phone calls. I, we're going to have to find out, or Fawny Willis more likely is going to have to find out how CNN and others got to her because that her name was not public. So either she picked up the phone or somehow her name got leaked and the press went after her and kept and kept hitting hitting her to see if she would talk and look what happened, you know, on the CNN clip that we just showed. You know, the parts we didn't show, she also said in response to the question by the uh, by the reporter um about the bait of Trump saying he says he's been exonerated. What do you think? Which is a total perfect place for her to say nothing and not talk about the report. Instead, she said, fascinating. I don't think he's read the right document, (laughs) which of course only drew the reporter in more to talk about the fact that she thinks there's no surprises. There's no plot twists. We're not going to be surprised when we get that roster of indicted, recommended indicted people of multiple defendants on a range of charges. Okay. That's what happened. Now let's talk about what happens next. Karen Friedman Ignifolo, three questions. One, is the indictment in jeopardy because of this the, this uh, action, self-serving, selfish actions of the four person? Two, has she committed a crime of, of, that, that Fawdy Willis and the judge will go after? And, and will this ultimately support, I guess it's the one and three are the same, a, a quash of any indictment that comes out of this process under... You know, you have your New York experience, but we'll we'll try to see if we can frame it under Georgia law the best we can as well. What do you think, Karen? No, maybe and no. (laughs) No. So (laughs) um, so let's just frame the issue a a little bit more uh, in what you're talking about. So so there's grand juries and then there are regular juries or they call them pettit juries. And and 
a, a regular jury is is when you sit for a trial and it's usually 12 people who are voir dired and questioned and they're chosen and they only see things that are public during the trial and you often will then have jurors come out and speak to the press about the trial and it's stuff that they've seen that was public so it's perfectly fine well the grand jury process is very different it's uh, usually 23 people and this one had 23 plus i think a couple of alternates and they aren't questioned or voir dire if you will they aren't um selected in any way other than just at random you know they they ask very general questions like can you serve can you hear things can you see you know whatever whatever the whatever the requirements are but but it's a different selection process and they are privy to the opposite right it's not public because every trial, every criminal trial is public. And so, so, but the grand jury is by its very nature secret because nobody's been charged. And, and so it's a way to get people to come in and gather evidence. And this is a special grand jury. So even more so, because they don't charge anybody and they didn't charge anybody here because that's not what, what they were created for. So it was all about, um, it's all about secret information of just regular people who are um, who are residents of Fulton County, Georgia, who were called because their name came up and then they sat and they sat for, I think, seven months here and they heard a lot, 75 witnesses and they had lots of other um, testimony that was brought before them in the form of videos, emails, phone calls, recordings, all, all of the above. And I don't remember a time ever that I know of that a grand jury foreperson or a grand juror spoke out and, and maybe someone can correct me if I'm wrong. I just don't know about it. But this is highly unusual because of the grand jury secrecy. Now, in Georgia, there it was. It's very. Um, it's slightly different uh, than New York. The Georgia law requires grand jurors to take an oath saying that they shall keep the deliberations of the grand jury secret unless called upon uh, to give evidence thereof in a court of law in in the state of Georgia. Now, the the key word there is deliberations. Keep the deliberations of the grand jury secret. And, and that has to do with the thought process of the grand jury. But how they define the word deliberations will, I think, determine whether she herself is in any trouble and whether she violated any secrecy. And I have to say, I think she actually crossed a line. And I'll, and I'll tell you, um, the, so, so she gave multiple interviews, by the way, CNN, which is the one I think you just played. There was also one to N NBC or MSNBC where she gave even more information. There was also some print. Uh, she gave interviews to some, some print media. So she's made multiple statements. And um, there's a few that she made that I think if they don't cross the line, I think they get close to the line. And, um, and the ones that I think, you know, like, for example, when she said that the starting point for the jurors was in, in our in, in our deliberations, frankly, but the starting point for us was the phone, the perfect phone call, the find the 11,780 votes. And so by talking about their process and where they started, that one could argue is the jury's deliberations. Um, so that's an issue, I think, that, you know, is an example of an issue that she has that potentially could be a problem for her. Um, but there were other things that, that she said, you know, first of all, 
to be clear, it's a horrible idea that she's speaking uh, to the public. It's a prosecutor's nightmare. I, I, you know, it's for the rest of us. It, she provided a window into the process, and she's clearly trying to not violate grand jury secrecy. And of course, you know, we loved hearing things that you know, like the witnesses who were or were not happy to be there, that, you know, who was cracking jokes and how forthcoming people were, that sort of thing people want to know. And she's, I think she's really trying to, um, trying to um, not violate her oath and reveal deliberations. But in addition to Trump baiting her, I think the reporters understandably are trying to goad her into more information. But but the the reason all of the reasons I think it's a really bad idea is in addition to her own personal liability that she, the trouble she could get into because of it is I think this is going to delay the indictment. And the reason is if I were Fonnie Willis, I would try to insulate the indicting grand jury now from the investigating grand jury. So whereas before we said, you know what, why doesn't Fonnie Willis just take the report and read it to the to the indicting grand jury, they can have they have hearsay that's allowed there, and just read read the findings and ask them to indict. I if I, I you know I have no idea if she's doing this or not, but one can imagine that Fani might be trying to now separate the two because there's going to be issues about this grand jury now about the special grand jury. So for example, she was talking about. Um, you know, the, the, the four person was talking about how cool it was that she got to swear someone in while holding a popsicle. And, you know, and, and that's problematic because where she got that popsicle from was up like a, a party that they had with the grand jurors and the DA's office. And that's going to show that's going to basically um, make claim, you know, lead to claims of too much fraternization. And, um, and I just think that that sort of that sort of information just is fodder for Trump and others, whoever is going to ultimately be indicted. And it's clear that yeah. that someone's going to be indicted, um, uh, you know, that that's going to be a problem, I think, for for Fonnie Willis, that she's going to have to figure out a way to get around that. Well, to well, to your point. Um, you know, it's not just Trump that, of course, is the target. We don't think of the special purpose grand jury. There are multiple defendants. There's 16 fake electors. There's possibly Rudy Giuliani, Mark Meadows, and Donald Trump. But already, Trump is, of course, tweeting out his storm about um, corrupt kangaroo uh, proceedings, uh, politically motivated hack jobs in direct response to Emily Kors's um, impertinent, I would think, uh, attempts to go on national television and talk about what she did or didn't do as a member of the grand jury. And we just put them up there on the screen. Um, and, and let me just address something that's in our in our chats today. There is no way, I, or let, me, let me rephrase. I would be shocked if there was evidence that Judge McBurney, who was so judicious about what he wanted revealed in response to the media's application for the full report to be disclosed and what he did not want revealed at that moment, which was just, you know, like a week or so, week or so ago, gave permission to jurors to take to the television and airwaves to talk about the proceedings. I, I mean, I see people saying, well, that, that may have happened. She might have had permission. There, I mean, I'd be shocked. Uh, Karen, you want to comment on that before we, we kind of start moving on? 
Uh, there's no way that she had to <laughs> right. talk. So right. th- there, there's one other thing she said that I didn't love. Um, she, she was saying that if the DA decides against bringing charges, she will be sad if nothing happens, something has to happen. And she didn't say because, you know, the, because it was um, so egregious or they violated the law. She said just too much time went into this and too much information went into this to not do something. There was just too much that went on for for it to be nothing. Um, she goes, as long as something happens, even if it's just perjury charges, I'll be that would be acceptable. And again, that's something that if I were Fonnie Willis, I would want to get away from because obviously if there's no, you know, if there's not enough evidence to support charges, that's the only time you, no matter how much work went into it, right, that you, that you bring charges. So, so Fonnie Willis is, is, is shaking her head um, and she's saying, you know, please stop talking. And I think she's, she's going to put her head down and continue doing her work. Um, but I think uh, potentially it could slow things down so, so that she can um, separate and insulate her grand jury that's, that's going to bring charges from this other one. Yeah, that's a good observation. And the time gap that you observed as a prosecutor, from a prosecutor standpoint, that may have to now be inserted between what's now happened and the revelations now in the public and the convening of the regular grand jury. Really, really, really fascinating stuff. We're going to talk in the next segment and the last segment today about um, McCarthy's decision to turn over 41,000 hours of video camera, closed circuit video camera from the Capitol, through the Capitol Police, by the way, to Fox News and Fox and Tucker Carlson in particular. But before we do, we're going to have a word from one of our sponsors, Fume. And now let's take a quick break to talk about our next partner, Fume. Be smart. Don't start. Kick the habit. Put it out before it puts you out. All phrases we've heard a hundred times, yet we still continue to have bad habits. Now, as you may know, I have a horrible habit of grinding my teeth that just drives me up the walls. Well, our sponsor, Fume, is on a mission to accelerate humanity's breakup from bad habits that consume far too many of us. Fume is a natural diffusive device that uses plants and behavioral science to help you trade out your negative habit for a positive one. Fume is not a vape. It's a non-electronic device designed to transform your negative habits. Instead of pods filled with potentially harmful chemicals like a vape, Fume uses cores infused with plants like peppermint and cinnamon for delicious flavors. With an adjustable airflow dial and a magnetic end cap, your fingers will always have something to always do. Now, look, I didn't expect much out of Fume when I first got it, but the minty sensation is really powerful and it really hits the back of your throat in a good way. Also, the design is super sleek. My own experience with Fume has been game-changing. The easiest way to stop a bad habit is to switch to a positive one, and Fume is designed perfectly to do just that. It's Fume's goal to make switching easy and even enjoyable. They have thousands of five-star reviews from people just like you who've successfully switched when other solutions just didn't work. Head to tryfume.com and use code LEGALAF to save 10% off when you get the Journey Pack today. The Journey Pack comes with three unique flavors and the new version 2 Fume to help kickstart your positive habits. That's tryfume.com and use code LEGALAF to save an additional 10% off your order today. And now, back to the video. See, I didn't know Jordy grinded his teeth. But, but there it is. It's disclosed and... 
you know, I'm so glad he's doing those. He's so good at it. He's so authentic and genuine in in the product and in his um, belief in the product. And I think that that makes all the difference. Speaking of people who don't believe in anything and aren't authentic, let's talk about Speaker McCarthy and Fox, and particularly Tucker Carlson. So McCarthy, when he gets in, on the many things that he did in order to um, secure the speakership after 15 votes, one of them was he promised to kind of get to the bottom of the security breach. Yeah, I wonder how that happened at the Capitol on Jan 6th. And part of that was to have committees, I assume under Jim Jordan or under one of the other lackeys and flunkies um, and also insurrectionists like Jim Jordan um, would take on in committee work and look at the surveillance tapes confidentially, privately, you know, the way the Department of Justice has been treating all of those closed circuit cameras in all of their prosecutions, the way that the chief judge of the D.C. Circuit, Beryl Howell, has been treating all of that footage, um, even in response to media attempts to obtain it in a, in a uh, Freedom, of Inf- Freedom of Information Act FOIA request or otherwise a petition to the judge. And uh, she's been very careful in letting out only the, a very limited amount of that. And the, and the way the Jan 6 committee treated the, um, the closed circuit TV cameras as, as very highly confidential material that only people with the, with, uh, the need to know needed to review in order for them to do their, their, hearing, their hearing work. But not for McCarthy. For McCarthy, 41,000 hours of multiple cameras showing, and let's just get this out there, showing camera angles, cam, basically camera types, in other words, the, the capacity of the camera, what it can do. Is it a 270 camera, 270 degree camera? Is it a fixed camera? Does it have a telescopic lens? Can it zoom in or out? The location of those cameras the, um, and you know, the positioning around the Capitol where it, by extension or by I- interpolation where there are not cameras at the Capitol and just release that to Tucker Carlson for him to, I don't know, do like a WikiLeaks and post it on one of his websites or use it for one of his phony um, documentaries that he doesn't even believe in, like the one in 2021 that said Jan 6 was a false flag event led by Democrats and Antifa, completely refuted by every investigative body, including the Jan 6 Committee and the Department of Justice in its prosecutions. Uh, but that didn't stop him from putting out a movie called Patriot's Purge, like it's some sort of horror movie. Um, and that's the guy you turn over 41,000 uh, uh, unedited um, uh, video footage to. Um, and, and it's a national, from my perspective, and I want to get yours, Karen, it gives the enemy and the next plot planner an exact roadmap of where the Achilles heel of the security plan and system at the Capitol is, where they can be more successful next time, right? Where is the weak underbelly? Where are there no cameras? Where are there blind spots? Where are there dead spots? And now if the Capitol Police and the Capitol Architect and the Sergeant at Arms and everybody else that's responsible for security at the Capitol and for the security and safety of elected officials and their staff and visitors, isn't now because of this, what I consider to be an, a, a breach of, of national security proportions, isn't rethinking their plan and isn't redoing their plan and moving those cameras around and installing new cameras and plugging every hole 
then they're derelict in their duty because all this is going to do is have the people that want to hurt America, and that includes other Americans, and want to attack the Capitol but be successful this time. Or as Marjorie Taylor Greene used to brag, uh, if I was leading it, it would have been successful, whatever that means, with everybody armed. Then, then um, I don't know what this is, but this is not transparency to turn it over to Fox News. You want to put it on a data, even a database. Where, where is your head, man? Where is your leadership to protect America? You would never do this if the attack ran the other way, right? If it was Democratic people, Democrats attacking the Capitol and the Democrats were in power, we would never do this. And to just, and to just, Thumb your nose at the chief judge of the D.C. Circuit Court, the Department of Justice, the Jan 6 Committee, and everybody else that has been appropriately both reviewing the material, giving it over to the Jan 6 defendants as needed, but also protecting the national security of this country is just, I mean, it would be an impeachable offense, in my view, if, if the right party was in power. Karen, what's your thoughts? Yeah, so look, that this is the, the push-pull issue with transparency and people wanting to have sunlight and daylight, you know, shining on everything. And, you know, the fact of the matter is whether or not this is a true security risk, I think you have to take the the police and the DOJ's um, word for it. They said it is. So I have no reason to doubt that. Uh, but I also will point out that any, you know, the, the, the capital has a lot of members of the public roaming through it and working there and, and interns and, you know, staffers and et cetera. I mean, it's, it's pretty open and public as it is. And if they have to move a few cameras around or, or change a few things, I, I have full faith that from a security perspective, the Capitol Police and the Secret Service ha have not only changed things. I mean, they, they I'm sure since January 6th and the insurrection, they have transformed all of their security procedures. So whatever they're releasing in these these video cameras, I would say is dated and, and old news because, because of that. Um, what, what bothers me about this is what you said, you know, that they're basically releasing this footage only to Tucker Carlson so that he can go through it and put together, you know, the, the, the greatest hits that support his, uh, his agenda, which has nothing to do with the truth or what actually happened. And frankly, this is potentially going to, um, be a problem for the uh, you know thousands of of or the, the many the, the people who are being prosecuted by the Department of Justice who appear on these tapes. You know, I, I know that these these um, videos were um, made available to defendants who are being prosecuted and their lawyers, but who has who can watch forty one thousand hours of tapes to find every little thing that's on there? And I can imagine a scenario where what's going to happen is Tucker Carlson's going to weave together some false narrative whatever his agenda is going to be based on what he sees. And these defendants are going to say, hey, that was, you know, what they call Brady material or exculpatory material. And I didn't know about it. So my, you know, my, it's, don't hold it against me. I'm innocent. And I, I would just worry that they're going to potentially um, hurt some of the um, 
of the convictions that, that the Department of Justice has already gotten. I also wonder whether um, whether uh, other news organizations are now going to um, make a request under the Freedom of Information Act, you know, FOIA or FOIL, they call it, where where you um, make a request for, for this information. Uh, in the past, uh, people, there are exceptions to that. And one of them could be um, it would jeopardize national security, which they had a good argument for um, before. But now that Tucker Carlson has it, I think that's waived. And so I think there's, there's going to be... Um, FOIA requests from other media outlets who are going to uh, be able to get access to this and hopefully um, fight back the misinformation that that Tucker Carlson has promised he's going to he's going to um, release what next week or whatever it is. But it's it's kind of disgraceful to me that they only gave it to um, to him and and it made me wonder why the Democrats didn't release it. Um, more broadly before they handed the reins over because it was widely talked about uh, that they that that the the Republicans were threatening to do this and to preempt it I, I wish the Democrats had had done something you know preemptively to, to give it to everybody so that it's not just Tucker Carlson who's going to use it to promote more lies but it is what it is and hopefully the Capitol Police and the Secret Service will just, you know, move the cameras around and put different security in place. And I'm sure they have many more exit routes given the insurrection and, and other security procedures based on what happened on January 6th so that it can never happen again. So hopefully that, yeah, that won't be terrible. I don't think the Gen 6 committee was going to do it, even though they knew that when they when they left, um, you know, all hell was going to break loose after they dissolved. Because, you know, um, Benny Thompson was very public about, and has been very public now, pardon me, about the footage being um, such a national security risk to put out there, not because of what it showed. They're not worried about what it showed. Um, I think all the video that was Brady material has been, of course, turned over by the Department of Justice, um, having reviewed it. And Beryl Howell, the chief judge, has been supervising all of those issues. It's because they really did believe that this was on a need-to-know basis only, and it did demonstrate not only what happened, but indirectly and implicitly um, problems in the security plan. And you have a lot more confidence in the new sergeant-at-arms, the architect who just got fired, the the um, the, the uh, Capitol Police people, sergeant-at-arms and all of that, and they're having redone the whole security plan, um, you know, knowing that this footage would be released. I'm not sure that's happened yet, and I'm not... No, I think um, they I'd redid ra- the security plan after yeah. January 6th. That's what I think. Mm. I think after the insurrection, yeah. they redid the entire security plan. If maybe, they didn't, maybe. I think, you know, whatever. That's, <laughs> right. that's what I, I think. Yeah, I would hope that happened. It should have happened, but so many things have, haven't happened. To the FOIA request issue... I think the door is open. The Capitol Police chief of police was asked, well, why did you just turn it over only to Fox at the request of McCarthy? And their response was, we're not political. Okay, well, if you're not political, then Midas Touch Network should be able to do a FOIA request. Exactly. I mean, right. As What I'm waiting to see is the Department of Justice's position in all of this or some pushback. I mean, is the Department of Justice going to run in back to Beryl Howell and try to put an end to any of this? Are they going to intervene? Is are they gonna I mean, we have to see what the DOJ is or isn't going to do and to kind of take our lead from there. If they're just going to say, mm, all right, let it all out, then yes, there there is absolutely nothing that would stop 
CNN, MSNBC, or or Midas Touch Network from obtaining this footage, and then and then uh, release analyzing it and releasing it, and and I'm sure it'll be for the Jan Six insurrectionists, it'll be being beaten with both ends of the stick, because a lot of the footage we didn't see is going to be not favorable to them, at all, um, as opposed to the other things that we're talking about. So. You know, that's uh, that's where we are with that. Um, you know, and we'll keep you posted on whether <laughs> Midas Touch Network does anything along those lines. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to act like I'm the four person and start being coy and hint about things. But you know, you know our agenda and you know our mandate. So there you have it. So look, um, another great episode. I think it's fun. I love doing it with you, Karen, and I know. You and I, I love the stars. I'm wearing red, white, and blue. You're wearing stars. You know, we're we're ready. We're ready. But we've come to the end of another midweek edition of Legal AF with Karen Freeman, Ignifolo, and Michael Popak. And uh, for those that want to support what we're doing, there's multiple ways to do it. One of them is you're here. Thank you for watching us on YouTube. We drop this as an audio on regular podcast platforms, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And that'll be up uh, early in our morning um, Eastern time. And then you can, of course, listen to it throughout the week. Do both. Watch it on YouTube. Listen to it um, there. Leave uh, ratings. Five-star ratings would be really helpful to us and the algorithms and keep us as a top-rated legal and political podcast globally, which is what, we, what we've accomplished with your help. Um, you can buy merchandise. We've got a store. Midas, we've got the Midas uh, Merchandise Store. Midas Touch Gear, store.midastouch.com. Got great legal AF stuff, including one that's not there, my favorite, the coffee mug. And we have that there as well. And um, you can, you know, follow us on social media. I'm at MS Popak on all social media, mainly Twitter. And Karen, what's your social media handle? KFA Legal, at KFA Legal. There you go. And we've got another amazing podcast and part of the Midas. Uh, touch network coming up right after us and i think you guys are going to love it it's called um, majority 54 with ravi ravi gupta and jason kander they ran campaigns they know how to flip things from red to blue and they do a great job at breaking down all the political news during the week and they're going to come in right after us on this network we're like a real network now we've got programming we got shows that follow other shows we do lead-ins and 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 this do. was actually live like this was and live this, right live. right i know some of the trolls to be distinguished from people who have awesome opinions that we don't agree with but we enjoy having them on there the trolls were surprised because a couple of times I, while you were talking, I jumped on and took them to task. <laughs> or I said, that couldn't possibly be true. And they were like, oh, oh, snap, Popox in the in the chat. This is live, live. And there we go. But I look forward I wanna, to next. Can I, yeah, can sure. I give a shout out really quick to yeah, you? Yeah, of course, always. Um, I, I love your hot take uh, that you did on the Dominion voting machines case against Fox News and um, the whole phone call into the Lou Dobbs show, you know, it was something that that I, I didn't know a lot about. And I, I listened to it, I thought it was excellent. And I saw that you have almost a half million viewers on that on that episode. And it's really good. So I just want to give a shout yeah. out to, to that for people who who are interested in that it's it's worth it's worth listening to not that all your hot takes aren't worth listening to they are but yeah. that one in particular, I think is excellent. I, I um, and for those that don't know what we're talking about about once a day ish, I do what 10 to 15 minute breakdown of something ripped right from the headlines that day 
just me talking to the microphone and you giving the analysis. I call it a hot take. Ben does something similar throughout the day. By the time the day is over, between Ben and me and the other commentators on the Midas <coughs> Touch Network, like uh, Harry uh, uh, Harry Littman and uh, even Texas Paul dips his toe into the legal water sometimes, and and Gabby. Uh, Gabe Sanchez and all of that. You know, we've covered it. We from from 7 a.m. in the morning until midnight when the last post happens. We've covered it all. And then you know we use a lot of that that teaching and that analysis updated for the midweek edition that we do that you and I do together. And then on the Saturday edition that Ben Mysalis and I do. So thanks for the shout out on the hot takes. I enjoyed doing them. The the one you're talking about, I actually do a rundown from 7:30 in the morning all the way until literally Trump said night night and went into the White House bedroom in you know the private quarters on Jan 6 including the attempt to call in to Lou Dobbs's show at five o'clock for Lord knows what that was uh, stopped by Fox News executives and that was something that was not known by the Jan 6 committee it came out in new reporting and I give the breakdown right up until the end from 730 in the morning the Jim Jordan text message and email with Mark Meadows about let's have Mike Pence overthrow democracy and not certify the election. That's over coffee at 730 in the morning, all the way to 622 at night when Donald Trump goes offline night night into his bedroom. And how, and you'll see how little he did Trump as a dereliction of duty during the critical moments that, that uh, led up to and during the mob assault on our democracy. Thanks again for joining. This is Michael Popak and Karen Friedman-Ignifolo signing off. <laughs>